Kia ora and welcome to Jules from NZ, a weekly podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Kia ora, tēnā katoa, hello and welcome back. Did you know that the 6th of February is a national holiday in New Zealand? Waitangi Day. It's coming up fast, so I thought I'd talk about it. On this day, in 1840, the Treaty of Waitangi, or Te Tiriti o Waitangi, was signed between the Crown and Māori, giving common law to the people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's a commemorative day for this treaty that not everybody thinks was a good idea. Therefore, it is a day fraught with a balance between learning from the past and building a better future. I've been nervous about doing this podcast episode for a while because of how important it is to our past and our future. I'm nervous because I'm not a historian or anything like that. I do not claim to know it all. I'm just a New Zealander who loves the land I live in despite all of its flaws and I'm trying my best to bring it to you in little pieces. So with that forward warning in place and that brief discussion, let's go explore. Treasures from the vault. Okay, so let's start easy and build up slowly. Uh, Why is it called Waitangi Day? Well, the treaty was signed at Waitangi in the Bay of Islands in Northland in the grounds of Jane, Jane, James Busby's house, now known as Treaty House. Um, the treaty was named after the ground it was signed on, referencing both the British land ownership designs and the Māori connection to the land. But it wasn't always celebrated. Until 1932, it was actually a forgotten piece of legislative history that no one really thought much about. But that year, Governor-General Lord Bledisloe gifted the treaty house and the grounds at Waitangi to the nation, hoping it would become a national memorial. In 1940, we celebrated 100 years in a big way, celebrating our unity, but resentment was already brewing, with Māori leaders pointing out a big difference between promise and practice. And in 1960, the Waitangi Day Act claimed February 6th as a national day of thanksgiving but there was no official holiday. In 1963 it finally became a public holiday. Oh no wait in Northland only but in 1974 it was definitely a public holiday for all. Yep New Zealand Day was a great success if you ignore the fires and bomb threats and hey hang on a second New Zealand Day? Yep, they tried to move away from Waitangi and towards a broader concept of nationhood. Did it work? Nope. People felt more shunned than before and thus increased protests. In fact, in the background to all of that, in the 70s there were land disputes and treaty claims being investigated by the Waitangi Tribunal that Maurata, Minister of Māori Affairs at the time, had been working to bring about. Claims created from problems with the original treaty and how it was represented way back in 1840 when it was signed. So let's deviate a little here from the current and the timeline I'm talking about to talk about that. Okay. So how to simplify the problems with the treaty? Okay, well, at the base level, 
is this. There were two treaties drawn up by Captain William Hobson and a few others, none of which was a lawyer and with no help from anybody for over on the British crown. Uh, it was made in three days, was super like a million revisions, and they were already worrying, at, even at that point, about getting across the concept of relinquishing sovereignty to the Maori chiefs as part of the treaty. And then when they realised that an English-only treaty was no good for discussion on this point, and others it was uh translated overnight by missionary henry williams and his son edward marsh williams who was a little better at maori than he was um but it was translated overnight so you know a lot of decisions made in a very short time and actually if you really want to get tricky there are nine signed treaties in total two were actually there at waitangi on the day on the day the english version and the original maori version um, and then seven more were sent around the country to be signed by other maori chiefs that weren't in attendance on that day for various reasons not all new zealand chiefs signed it but enough did with about 530 kind of and um signing with at least 13 women because you know why not note that? Um, and that considered it kind of legal and binding enough, right? Okay, so what did the treaty say? It had three kind of base articles to it. It's actually relatively small for such an important document. Kind of has a lead in forward and lead out afterward, but these three main points. And here's a summary of basically what those three points say. So one Give absolutely to the Queen of England forever the complete government over the land. Two, establishes the continued ownership of Māori over their lands and establishes the exclusive right of preemption of the crown. And three, gives Māori people full rights and protection as British subjects. And they needed to do this at the time because some of the British settlers were being douchebags and they were not treating people very nicely. So without British law, they were really unable to do anything. Also, the French were kind of breathing down their back. There was a big plan to give the French a massive land package and settlement there and they were basically going to start their own thing and cut right in on the British's, you know, hoo-ha. So um, they needed to do this quick. Um, but here's the crux of the whole matter of the problems with the treaty. The English and the Māori version are different. Similar, but they have different meanings. Translation of words is easier than translation of meaning, and some concepts were completely lost on the translation. Also, many Māori weren't even reading yet, so they relied on what was said to them, and some of this may have swayed their signature. It's complicated, but I'll kind of try and simplify this for you in a few key differences. Again, forgive me for simplifying this a lot for you guys today. Okay, so the first article deals with the word sovereignty. The English version was clear that Māori would cede sovereignty, meaning that they accepted the Queen was the supreme authority, the all-mighty being, the DM, you know? The Māori version, well, it wasn't a word for sovereignty because it wasn't actually a concept. There were many chiefs, not one, so they went with kawanatanga, government, or governorship. Um, that's the first problem. The second clause in English says that they possess the land and can sell it, but only to the crown. That's what preemption clause means. And um, 
The Māori version says that the chiefs will sell land to the queen at a price agreed by the person owning it and by the person buying it, the latter being appointed by the queen as a purchase agent, which doesn't really actually mention the only the crown part. Kind of reads more like the first offer is to the crown and then you can kind of offer it to other people. So that's the second problem. And the second clause in the Māori Treaty also refers to Māori retaining chieftainship over their lands and villages and all of their treasures. Treasures, importantly, being written in Māori as taonga, which means a lot more than just property and encompasses wider treasures like language and culture and created the wider misunderstanding of things like who owns the foreshore and the seabed. And the next one is the lack of basic understanding of Māori beliefs and attitudes towards ownership and use of land. Like chiefs would sell the land or grant permission to use it, but still consider themselves to be the spiritual owners of the land with their spiritual connection to it, believing that their children and their children and their children would still own the land that these people were just kind of using for the meantime. So if they'd understand what they were giving up, I don't know that most of them would have done it maybe straight away, or maybe they would have done it differently, or maybe they wouldn't have been in such a hurry to get the money for it. So, you know, um, there's all of that. Okay, so that's some of the very brief problems with the treaty. So for a while, um, despite the confusion and some growing discontent, it kind of worked. You know, Māori sold their land to the Crown with the help of Hobson, but the money dried up from the Crown and then the Māori got annoyed, so the preemption clause was actually waived in 1844. But there were huge problems in the 1840s. A name famous for the protests around this time is Māori chief Honekeke. He Honekeke, say it right, Julia. Don't rush through it. He cut down the flagpole in Kororareka, which is English name is Russell, near Waitangi, flying the Union Jack in protest three times. So he cut down that flagpole three times. And his friend actually did it first um, at his urging. He just didn't do it the first time. So technically the flag stuff there was cut down four times. And all of that involved Honeheke. Um, and each time that got cut down was well more dramatic than the last, as the British actually fought to protect it from his attacks. In the last attempt, or well, the last successful cut down, a force of 600 Māori fighters armed with guns and tomahawks cut down all defenders and chopped it down in a dramatic defiance. Huge cost. It was never raised by the Crown again after that. However, it was raised later by the Māori iwi or tribe on that kind of land a serious game of capture the flag if ever i saw one and the flagstaff war although a joke kind of there was no joke um it was created by those attacks and is still a cultural memory that runs deep in new zealand flag attacks and flag pride are still a giant thing in new zealand society and you do still see attacks and protests around flags in Waitangi even today. Okay, so if that makes any kind of sense and you're still with me, let's go a little further now in 1845 when Governor George Grey began bullying and swindling Māori out of their land, even in some cases buying it from the wrong person who didn't even own that land but claiming the sale anyway. They came from, then came the Native Land Court, which was another giant disaster, which basically proclaimed to help 
um, the Māori like keep their land or, or fight their land battles but ended up being so expensive to use that often the land was sold to pay for the costs of the court, obviously defying the whole purpose it was built in the first place. Anyway, back to the Waitangi Tribunal that I mentioned a while ago. As you can understand, with all this confusion and bad feeling about what the treaty meant and how we dealt with it all really badly when things didn't work and then the feeling that Māori were cheated out of their land because they definitely were, it was unfairly purchased, ownership was never actually ceded properly, yet given anyway somehow. We need to deal with all of that. There should be compensation. And so that's the Waitangi Tribunal's job. Simply put kind of very broadly summarized to look at the past and determine the true owners of the land and then get the land to those who should own it now which is obviously an incredibly complicated process of high tension and really slow pace so let's not say any more about that for now um i can definitely come back to that at another time as i can come back to anything i've mentioned here today it's just that there's a lot to mention um and so i'm kind of trying to do it all in broad strokes anyway Okay, so the celebrations of Waitangi Day, as it has been known now since 1976, when they actually changed the name back to Waitangi Day, the way it should have been in the first place, are to build and commemorate a New Zealand identity and purpose. And they say celebration, but obviously with all of the above, it's not always an easy, happy time everywhere for everyone. You know, over the years, debate has become more and more heated. Protests plague the day every year. Um, especially at physical Waitangi um, in either the lower marae um, Titi or the upper marae which was built um, after uh, after um, the lands were gifted to the nation um, and it's more of a hosting kind of space so um, anyway they they march they sit in they physically grab politicians to say they aren't welcome there gagging orders are imposed on proposed speakers like um, whoever the current prime minister is sometimes is just not allowed to talk um, there's the bizarre time where a dildo was thrown at an attending politician Stephen Joyce's face by Josie Butler as she stated that's for raping our sovereignty so yeah he got a rubber dildo to the face uh which is pretty insane <laughs> and amazing all at the same time and i have absolutely put a link to that um where you can see that happen in the show notes um along with i've actually put a link to a website with a lot of really detailed information for those who like the nitty-gritty details of history like i do um and you can kind of read heaps more about everything i've just sort of tried to summarize um it's now commonly understood that the original treaty is problematic at best um and when we speak about it now in a general way we refer to the intention or the spirit in which it was made to protect the people of new zealand to become one in harmony here in this land so how do we celebrate it now, knowing all of that and and having all of that in our minds every year, you know? Well, commemorations at Waitangi usually start on the 5th of February at the Napuhi Marae Titi, um, often referred to as the Lower Marae because it's the kind of the original one, um, where pol- political dignitaries are welcomed onto the marae, hear speeches from the local iwi or the local tribes. These speeches often deal with the issues of the day, you know, and it's really intense, rigorous debate. Um, in 2018, Jacinda Ardern was the first prime minister to attend the ceremony in three years because people were basically too scared to do so because of the physical confrontations or 
too ashamed by not doing enough or I, I you know there's lots of reasons to not go um and she continues to do so um and she um will probably be there again this year I imagine um she was also the first female granted speaking rights on the marae which is a pretty big deal because um marae is generally um it's a it's a male dominated speaking area only so for her to be granted rights is a massive deal and yes I will talk about protocol on rise at some point so please remind me request that one um at dawn on Waitangi Day the Royal New Zealand Navy raises the New Zealand flag the union flag and the white ensign on the flag stuff in the treaty grounds and in some occasions um some of the protests have involved trying to get the Maori flag um above all of these to represent its kind of sovereignty in in New Zealand. Um, And there was one time where this guy literally climbed up a tree and tied it to the top of the tree and did get it above. And there was like a spontaneous hucker underneath. It was, was, yeah. Anyway, um, the serum, the ceremonies during the day generally involve like church service, cultural displays with dance and song, several waka and a Navy ship usually enact, the coming ashore of Governor Hobson to sign the actual treaty and the day closes with the flags being lowered by the Navy in a very traditional ceremony. But that all happens at Waitangi. So what about the rest of us in the country that aren't just like picking up and going to Waitangi because it's like at the very top of the North Island each year? Okay, well, I can tell you what I'm doing on Waitangi Day. Um, I'm either going to Tera or Waitangi in Wellington City, which is a big festival of food and music and performance at Waitangi Park. Or I'm walking about 50 minutes down the road to Porirua Harbour to see live performances down there, eat local food and take part in the traditional arts and activities on offer, such as boarding a waka armour to see what sailing in a traditional waka would have been like in the day. You know, which is probably actually more likely what I'll be doing um, than going into town and that's because I'm lazy and that one's only 15 minutes away and it also has waka armor and that sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> that's a really bad reason but that's just true. It's also not a fix. Like people like me going along to these um, treaty displays isn't a fix to the issues of the treaty and the events surrounding it. Um, by going on I guess I'm trying to say that I I love and respect um, the people who it is important to, um, you know, and and that's kind of everybody in a in a yeah in a very broad. I'm going way off track from my notes. Anyway, it's supposed to be a gesture of respect from me to the importance of the day um, that I will go and take part in some of those ceremonies and um, traditional foods and and things like that because because ultimately I would like to see us do better. And I would like to see us fix some of these problems. And and I think by continuing the conversation and not ignoring it, we can do that. So by getting involved in these events and, and get, getting your face and name and voice out there is really important. And I guess that's why I've put so much pressure on myself with this podcast to put my own voice to it, saying we can and we will be better. Um it's caused me so much anxiety, I guess. Anyway, okay, so if you're from New Zealand or wherever you find yourself in the world, I'd love to find out how you're celebrating. So call me and let me know.
Um, if you have any questions or there are things that I mentioned in passing that you'd like to hear more about, let me know. It was a massive big topic with too much to cover. Honestly, I had five pages of notes that I tried to condense down. Um, and I hope I made sense as I tried to touch on kind of it all. Um, I think our guiding light Jacinda said it best in her speech today in the run up to Waitangi with Waitangi is the place where we acknowledge our past, but it must also be the place where we challenge our present and where we collectively be hopeful about our future. Um, for those who listened and think I missed something major or got something awfully wrong, I'm 100% willing to listen and learn and be corrected and discuss. So please reach out. I always strive to get it right, but I've had to ugh, a lot. So I hope it worked. Okay. Just gems. Okay, so I had some call-ins that I'd love to share with you all now to end up this episode because this episode, I feel like, has been quite a heavy one where I've been talking really fast and trying to get everything out. So um, let's end it with something kind of fun and positive. So first up is Annie Goodman from Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, a excellent RPG podcast with some actual play and some serious chat about the hobby that I love. So, hey, Andy, what's up? Jules, hi, it's Andy here. Thanks so much for your message. I'm so pleased that uh, you sent it and um, um, pleased that you, you've listened to, to a couple of episodes of the podcast. I always, um, I, I've heard a bunch of your messages on other podcasts and I was thinking, oh, I wish I wish Jules would leave you a message. I, I do like the New Zealand accent, um, even if we keep beating you at various sporting events. Um if you care about that, <laughs> but I suppose you probably do. I don't, have we beaten you at rugby? I can't remember. We definitely beat you at cricket. No, but then you beat us at cricket. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> if you listen to the latest episode, I think our opinions are almost identical about why 5D is so great, and especially at bringing new people into the hobby and, and about having fun and stripping everything back down to a very simple, enjoyable game. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Um, uh, see you later. <laughs> okay, so I do follow the sports balls, pretty much all of the sports balls, and I'm here to say that we usually beat you at most things, just saying, you know. Um, I'm glad we're on the same page about all of this, and I have actually listened to a couple more episodes since um, you left that message. So um, there will be probably more call-ins for me, and I'm really looking forward to more chat with someone who sounds just real smart and real, um, like, willing to, like, talk about and discuss in a really positive way. So thanks for that, Andy. It was really awesome. Um, next up is Colin Green from the Incomparable Spike Pit RPG podcast, another amazing breakdown and chat about gaming and stuff that's going on in Colin's life, and you really need to go over there and see the amazing discussion happening. So take it away, Colin. Hey, congratulations, Jules. Sounds like you won D&D. <laughs> awesome job. I can understand why you haven't dropped a podcast for a little while. You've been super busy by the sounds of things. Sounds like you're having a whale of a time. Pro DM, eh? Great stuff. You take care and I'll catch you later. Hey, thanks, dude. I did win D&D. &D. Um, <laughs> I feel 
very shocked by that still. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I've talked enough about that. But I can't wait to chat more, Colin. I've got some Collins for you too soon. And I really don't care that they're behind you. That that sounds like a you problem. So <laughs> um, next up is Josh Beckelheimer having a chat. Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So it's good to hear that you are still around. I saw some posts on Facebook. But that is super awesome that you are like this. DM that can be hired that's a really cool thing what a cool little job too I mean you just go and host D&D parties and run games for people but I do have a question do you come to the states because that would be great anyways that's awesome that you get to do that and that's just so cool and what a creative idea it's like one of those you know Airbnbs where now you can do D&D or you can go to these people's house and they just run a game of D&D for you. And it's just like a Airbnb or whatever. That's so cool. Hey, Josh. Um, it is a pretty sweet little job, you know, and I would totally come to the States. Are you paying for my flights, though? Because if you are, I'm there, dude, for sure. I'll bring like all of the cosplay and all of the decorations and I will do a week long, you know, D and D session for you if that's what you want. Um <laughs> for sure. Uh I actually do set up my house in full decoration and cosplay to suit the game that we're playing. We do like dinner and everything and I go all night in a one shot and it's an absolute blast. I can go to other people's houses but I haven't done that yet. I'm still pretty fresh, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll add like an element of something new for me. So yeah, pretty exciting. I look forward to my plane ticket arriving though. That sounds awesome. Um, (laughs) Next up is Joe Richter from Hindsightless. Uh, What you got, Joe? Hey, Jules, it's Joe. Congratulations on winning. That is amazing. I knew you could. I knew you would. And I'm super happy and proud of you. That's really really cool i'm just hanging out in my american flag pants eating this amazing dessert that we invented over here i forget forget the name of it it's bav something i don't know name's not important i'm just happy we made it and it is delicious (laughs) but one more thing what's a larp i don't know could you tell us what a larp is um how is it different from a role-playing game Anyway, congratulations again. You rule, and I will talk to you soon. Peace out. Honestly, Joey, I may murder you. I am regretting putting out such an honest Pavlova episode. I now think I should have just lied. You know? And I will 100% burn your damn pants with you still in them if you keep that up. (laughs) Um, But you're right. I will absolutely talk about a lap um and what that is and how amazing it is but not here not today it's a topic for another time that i will completely dedicate to you and you alone joey um yeah because i think that really deserves um a chunk of time okay all right anyway this has been long enough i think that's everyone so it's time to close this puppy up um so personal thanks to my patreon patrons um my 
sparkling gems of my world right now that like make me want to be a better podcaster all the time and I strive really hard to do the best research and work that I can so I hope that you're enjoying it those um really lovely gems that now sponsor me are Lucas Scott Glenn and James I adore you all so that's just for you um Thank you to my call-ins, Joe, Colin, Josh, and Andy. It's always really awesome to hear from you fellas, and I hope you keep that up. I hope you keep listening and calling in because it just really adds something to my day when I hear a bing and it, it and it's and it's someone calling in. It's just ah, it's, it's awesome. Being part of the Anchorites community is amazing. So thank you for that. Um, next week's episode is actually Glenn's Patreon request that I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the Haka. Um, I've already done a bunch of research and I'm really excited about this episode. So look forward to that one next week, Glenn. Uh, and if you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your platform of choice. It all helps. Um, or like Josh said, come find me on Facebook where he found me already. Or Twitter or Instagram for that matter. So, enohora kakite ano, aroha nui from the bottom of my heart. And mwah to you all again. See you again next week.